Good morning and welcome to Morning Java, brought to you as always by our friends at the Gecko Cafe and Market, where, you know, they got the app, you just order your food on there, they bring it out to the car, don't have to go in the building. It's, it's a great service. Noah, I'm joined with my friend Noah Hiles today, new uh, worker on the site too, so welcome on. We were able to keep that poorly kept secret for well, enough time. Yeah, a couple of weeks, it felt, it felt like even longer than that. But yeah, it was a couple of weeks, we kept it under wraps. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And in that time, we've watched a lot of Pirates baseball. As much as we possibly could. And there's been a lot of bad stuff to come from that Pirates baseball. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's be optimistic to start off with. What okay. are the good things that you have seen out of this Pirates team through the first 16 games? The good things? Um, well, there was baseball. That, that's, uh, that's just good in general, that it's back. But, no, on a serious note, I think if you want to find positives about the Pittsburgh Pirates, you find it on the left side of the infield, Alex. That's where all of their offensive production has been, and that's where pretty much any exciting part of the team has been found, it, be it Colin Moran's power with five home runs for the first couple weeks of the season. He was leading all of baseball uh, in round trippers. You had Phil Evans before, you know, he had that tough injury that knocked him out for the rest of the season – he was hitting the ball well. Eric Gonzalez is hitting the ball harder than just about anyone else in baseball right now. He's playing second base, or he's playing shortstop and third base. Kevin Newman's heating up. And then you also have Cabrian Hayes. While he hasn't done anything yet, he's the most promising prospect that you're going to see play on the North Shore this year, at least for the Pirates, that is. So I would say if we're talking positives, it's shortstop and it's third base. And ironically enough, third base was a position that coming into this year, there was not a lot of high hopes for, and that's been their most productive position offensively. Yeah, I'm going to add another position into the mix there with the catching. Okay. I think Jacob Stallings has been everything the Pirates really hoped for. The bat has been not a black hole, and he's been arguably the best defensive catcher in baseball so far. I don't think you even really have to argue that much. Anything that you want to see from a catcher, he's done. Framing pitches, blocking pitches, throwing out base runners, he's done it all. And to individualize one person in particular who I think has really shown great strides this year, I think it's Trevor Williams, who is going to make the start Friday. So far in these starts, we have seen more of that, the fastball play a lot better than it did last year. And I think, you know, the extra breaking pitch with the curveball is, you know, playing into that. He's not as reliant on the fastball. And as a result, batters can't hit, sit on it as much. It's going better. The changeup seems to be playing a whole lot better than it has in the past. There is a lot that I've liked from Trevor Williams' starts so far this year. Like, Joe Musgrove has shown some signs, but overall it's been three outings that you don't really hope that you're starting, your opening day starter will give you. Uh, Mitch Keller, kind of an injury, messed things up. Uh, Chad Cole is another guy who, if we're talking about good things, I would add to the mix. But Trevor in particular, I think, has been – I don't want to say a pleasant surprise because we saw this Trevor in 2018, but it was like, could he get back to 2018 Trevor? And so far, I think he looks a lot like that guy right now. See, I'm going to hold off on listing Trevor Williams as a complete positive because he's given really one. I mean, while his one good start was great, I need to see yeah. at least a couple more. And uh, this is the weekend episode. So there's a good chance that he delivers a second great start. Uh, as we talk about this, but the most consistent start out of the Pirates rotation has been piggybacking. The piggyback system has worked very well. And while they're breaking that up, I think if we're reviewing 
the positives from the first quarter of the season, the piggyback has not only been their best starter, their best type of start they've received most consistently, it's been, in all honesty, one of the only choices that the, the new manager, Derek Shelton, that's played out well. Uh, he's, he's taken risks in other aspects of the team, and they haven't necessarily worked out the way you had hoped. Um, but the piggybacking strategy that he adopted from what Minnesota did last season when he was there, um, it, it's, it's transitioned very well here for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And you saw it result in some good starts with, with Brault and Cool. And while that's broken up, you still might see it with Brubaker. And I don't know. I think it's a good way to ease guys into – starting roles when they haven't been big league starters in a shortened season with an expanded roster and some guys like Chad Cool who have arm problems. There's a lot of positives to it. It's a new thing that I don't expect a lot of people to understand and baseball purists might not love it, but honestly, I think it's great, especially for a team like the Pirates who quite frankly, don't have a lot of guys who you can expect to go six, seven innings into a game, even when everyone is healthy. Ralton Cool have a 338 combined ERA. I'm yeah. just saying. Hey, can't get mad about that. All right, Alex, so we talked about the good. Now, buckle up. Let's talk about the bad. Let's talk about some of the negatives that have come with this Pirate season. You've been on the beat. You've been there. You've seen them on the road. You haven't seen them win on the road, at least as, as of now when we're recording this. Uh, what have been some of the areas of struggle? What has been some of the areas of struggle so far for this team? There are some glaring I ones, obviously. I mean, whenever you think bad, my, my mind immediately goes to the injuries, especially in the bullpen, especially someone like Nick Birdie, who worked so hard and did so well to rework his throwing mechanics and then immediately just gets hit with another elbow injury. I think the shortened camp really is to blame for some of these injuries. Uh, we're seeing it across baseball. It can't just be you know, this is a normal year. I mean, it, forget the virus. It, we're seeing an increase in arm and lat injuries. And I think that's the number one bad thing that has come out of this, out of these first couple of weeks. And that's not just with the Pirates. It's across baseball. There are a whole lot of pitchers who are just getting hurt right now. That's my number one bad thing that's happened. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned that, I, and we talked about on our podcast earlier this week, how coming into the week, there were over 50 injuries coming into the start of this past week uh, through major league pitchers that were non-COVID related, all armor due to performance, which compared to that time frame, the last two seasons, there was less than half of that number. So, and it's showing not only in the Pirates bullpen with the guys you named, but the starting rotation as well. Keller, uh, Joe Musgrove, all these guys are coming down and it's, it's hard to, it shows it's hard to stop completely and then start back up again. And it, it's frustrating to see the injuries arm related, which you never want to see anyone get injured, but especially when you're talking pitchers with arm injuries, that's not only terrible for the current state of the team, but the future, that's something you have to worry about moving forward. But even when you're talking injuries, you lose a guy like Phil Evans, who yeah. was I mean, you, you feel for that guy. He wasn't necessarily a huge part of the Pirates' future plans as they're kind of evaluating to see who's going to be a part of this next core that they're developing under this new regime. Phil Evans is a guy that got his one and probably only shot to get regular playing time in a season like now, and he's been, he had been making the absolute most of it. 
He's playing well. He was playing well in the field in multiple spots, and he was hitting the ball hard and efficiently, driving in runs, you know, getting on base at a good rate, and his season comes to a crashing halt. But aside from injuries, I would say the worst part about this Pirate season for me has been the lack of offensive production from the guys that coming into this year we thought we'd be able to depend on. Yeah. And that's what's been most frustrating. The Josh Bells, the Brian Reynolds, the uh, Adam Frazier's. Those are three guys that when you looked at this lineup and you see a draw Dyson in center field, when you see a Jacob Stallings behind the plate, you look at those guys and you say, I don't expect them to hit over, what, 220. I don't expect them to have an OPS over 710. You know, I, I, we have them in the lineup for their defense. So – to, to counteract that. And while they're going to save runs, we need people to produce runs. And when you're run producers like a Josh Bell, like an Adam Frazier, when your top of the order isn't doing anything offensively, it's not drawing walks, it's not hitting home runs, it's not, it's not having any type of productivity, you're going to have a hard time winning ball games. And I, I think that more than the injuries has shown to be the Achilles heel so far for the Pittsburgh Pirates is the guys that they depended on coming into this year have simply not produced at all. No, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially bringing up Bell and Reynolds too, because that was the all-star. That was the rookie of the year. We never saw Reynolds struggle like this at all last no. year. Like, Yuto, I mean, how many plate appearances does he have this year? Like 70, something around there? Yeah. You could take any 70 plate appearances that he had last year. And it wouldn't turn out to be like this. I mean, geez, you could probably take, you know, his worst couple games and find 70 plate appearances and it really wouldn't look like this. Might be sophomore slump. I mean, it's, they were the guys who were supposed to reduce. And I, I know you look at this three and 13 Pirates team, or a lot of people do, not necessarily you, no, I'm sorry. But a lot of people look at this three and 13 Pirates team and be like, oh man, this team stinks. It's like, you know, if they had these guys hitting the way that, they were supposed to or that they did last year or if they weren't just so injured in the you know in the back end this team would easily have six or seven wins right now and in this division maybe that's something you know that's to a playoff second, team second, Teams with second six playoff or seven spots, wins yeah that's i mean the six, reds are eight and ten and they have the second spot right yeah now. there aren't a lot of good teams the marlins in the are a playoff team or at least they, they, they're in contention. So they think are, about that. A I, speed skater and a single-A pitcher. And, I mean, they, they gave Alex a call earlier this week to see if he could be, you know, a pinch runner or something from what I heard. So I only throw the knuckleball. Uh, all right. Okay. So. I guess I should point out, you know, that I am on the riverfront here in Cincinnati. And, you know, there's a, there's a nice ship right there. So that's the production value that you could only get from yeah, Java right there. That was amazing. I, you know, I feel like uh, – when my grandparents go on vacation, they will FaceTime uh, me to show me where they're at. And that's what I just experienced right now. So thank you, Grandfather Alex. You're, you're welcome. You know, are you going to send me like Gen a postcard and a magnet from, from, from Cincinnati as well? I might. I just might. might. You might. All right. So yeah. Alex, you are in Cincinnati. If the pirates somehow turn this around, you might be in the bubble in the postseason, because that's what the MLB is considering right now as a playoff bubble. Um, Alex, have you looked into this at all? Have you read on this at any, at any point of time? Briefly, um, I will admit that I'm maybe not looking at uh, playoff baseball. You know, what I may or may not, not do whenever they 
whenever the team's three and thirteen, let them rattle off a couple years, and I'll I'll cross that bridge whenever I get there. What's wild but, about that? That you make that joke, but if this team wins, if this team goes on a five-game win streak, they're a playoff team right now. I mean, seriously, which is hard to imagine considering what we've just witnessed over the past, you know, half month or so. But yep. it's baseball. If, it if the, anything. If, yeah, if the Orioles and Tigers and Marlins can be in playoff contention, this yes, too. Yes, but if on they the bubble, when eight out of ten, yeah, know, anyone can. Anyone can do it on the bubble. So one of the ideas that's been proposed right now, that's been talked about, is a West Coast bubble where um, the teams would be stationed in Disneyland, similar to what the MLB has done in Disney World in Orlando. The MLB would be in Los Angeles or Anaheim at Disneyland in a resort where there are three ballparks, Angel Stadium, which is, I think, a 10-minute drive from the resorts, um, Dodger Stadium, which would be a 45-minute drive, I looked that up, and Petco Park, which would be about an hour and a half. And you would have the wild card rounds, which is just the three-game series there. After that, they would say goodbye to Petco Park, and the division and championship series would be played at uh, Dodger Stadium and Anaheim. And then the World Series would either play, be played at one venue or you'd go bounce back and forth uh, between the two of them. Um, Alex, I don't hate this idea, if we're being honest with each other. I think that this is, this is more than doable. Uh, my only question would be, if you're going to do a bubble, you need to do a self-quarantine to make that bubble effective. So are we going to see a delay of 14 days before the playoffs begin? That would be my only question. That's what's on my mind, too, because you really can't take two weeks off and then not expect another ramp up at, at that point. I mean, the bubble, the bubble is never going to work for a full Major League Baseball season because the only places where they had really enough facilities to host a bubble would be uh, Arizona and Florida. And that's kind of there would already there would still be some traveling in between, and you know Arizona and Florida having to, weren't exactly doing so great uh, with the virus, especially whenever uh, this yeah. discussion was happening. Correct. So yeah, the playoff bubble sounds like a good idea, and the playoff bubble would really this whole season the owners especially want to make sure that there is a postseason. There is a lot of money riding on the postseason. They're not going to make money in the regular season without, you know, fans in the stands. So they're really relying on that postseason revenue from television. Especially, especially with college football more than likely being canceled, that's going to mm -hmm. be the other fall sport when football's not being played. Because yeah. NBA and NHL will be over with. They need that those extra ratings are going to make up for the losses on the bottom line. And my only thought is, at this point, what good would a bubble do at this point? Like, if everyone just followed what the Pirates players have been doing and how – or and most, you know, Major League Baseball players are doing, like, hey, you're in the hotel. You go to the ballpark. You go back to the hotel. No, it's not a glamorous life, but, you know, you get paid millions of dollars to do this. That's just how this is going to – that's just how this is going to work. And I think that could be just as effective as a, a bubble. I think the bubble talk is more – it just sounds good. See, if, I'll, if I'll nothing just... less. Because the NBA really needed a bubble. The NHL needed a bubble. At this point, Major League Baseball has gotten this far without a bubble. Maybe it just kind of doesn't need one anymore. 
No, uh, see, here's where I'll disagree with you. The bubble, not having a bubble, A, it puts you at risk of losing players just at randomly. I mean, guys like Juan Soto and Gregory Polanco, they were following the protocols, yet they still went down with this. And it just comes from travel. And in the regular season, you're seeing regionalized travel. You're seeing teams who play on the East Coast only travel on the East Coast. Same from the West, same for the Central Divisions. Where in the postseason, you're asking teams to go from Florida to California, across the country, where that, that's more travel. That's more exposure to different areas of the country, and that creates more risk. So I think the postseason bubble is necessary, and if they can find a way to logistically make it work, where you, yes, the self-quarantine is the whole point of the bubble, where if you do self-quarantine for 14 days, every, it gets out of everyone's system, and it's able to work. So I, I, I would like to see it. Uh, it will be hard to do that, especially when you consider that the Cardinals are going to have all these games to make up. Let me ask you this as one final thought. All right. Let's say there is not another Marlins Cardinals level outbreak this okay. year and everyone else is able to get through the season like this. Like maybe there's some really isolated cases, but it never, you know, spreads amongst the clubhouse. Would you still feel that way? No, but here's the thing, Alex. We've been watching a baseball team the last five years that uh, puts their hopes and prayers into a best-case scenario being the only way they have success, and how's that turned out? So that would be my counter-argument, is when you're going into a plan and expecting the best-case scenario to be the only way things work out, that's not a good plan. You need to plan for multiple scenarios here, and I think base it off of realistics, uh, if we're going to base it off of realism here, there is going to be another outbreak for a team. And so I think that the bubble would be the better solution.